Today's daf is daf Kuf Yud. We are holding at the top of the Mishnah on Kuf Yud Amid Aleph. And uh, we are learning today's daf, Le'ilu Nishmas, my uh, grandfather, Avram ben Eliezer, who I am named after. My mother's father is Nishma Mishnah ben Aliyah. Let's go. Top, top day, look at Mishnah. So the case is as follows. Let me set it up and then we'll read it inside. The case was, is that, let's say, Ruvain pulled out a star, an IOU that says, Shimon owes him $10,000. Okay? Now what happens is, <clears throat> Shimon then pulls out a, a, a deed uh, that he purchased, he purchased, and purchased means after the due date of the, uh, 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 of the loan, that he purchased a property that's worth $10,000, that he sold, not purchased, he sold a property that's worth $10,000 to, I'm sorry, no, he, bur- he purchased. He bought a property from Ruvain that was worth $10,000. So let's again reframe. Ruvain shows he has an IOU that Shimon owes him $10,000. Shimon pulls out a document that after the due date, he, uh, bo- he, uh, he paid for a property that's worth $10,000 from Ruvain. So what's Shimon's claim? Shimon's claim is like this. He's saying either one of two things. He's either saying that the IOU is forged, it's a fake, or that he paid it up. And the proof that he paid it up is because why would somebody land is, is usually, people don't sell property. You, unless you really type for money, you don't sell property. So why would you have sold me a piece of property for $10,000 and taken my money for $10,000 as a sale if I owed you $10,000. You wouldn't have not collected that $10,000 as the IOU if you needed the money. You wouldn't have sold me. The fact that you sold me a property worth $10,000 shows us that that IOU is not a legitimate IOU. That's the argument that Shimon is making over here, right? Clear? Everybody has the... Clarity of the case, right. So therefore, let's see it again inside. So Reuben took an IOU for $10,000. Shimon pulled out a deed that he sold a property that, he, uh, that, I'm sorry, that he purchased a property from Reuben of 10000 which he paid cash for. So Admon Omer, so Shimon has the right to say, if I in fact did owe you like your IOU claims, so then you should, instead of selling the land, which people generally don't sell land, instead of selling the land to get the $10,000, you shouldn't have got the $10,000 by selling me the land, you should have got the 10000 because of your IOU, if it's a legitimate IOU. Right? So therefore, you, you could have said at the time when I came up, you could have, uh, that when I, I came to pay you the $10,000, you should have taken that $10,000 and say, I'm keeping this because of the IOU and not sold your piece of property. Right? So then, 
When you sold me the, when you were selling me the land, instead of selling me the land, you should have held on to the money and said, I'm not selling you the land. That money you owe me for the IOU. And it's a proof that the IOU is forged. Or it's paid. Chachamim says, no. Is that Ruben can say, he, Ruben can uh, say that actually what he was doing was very smart. Why? He says, I know Shimon. He says, Shimon always complains he never has any money. So if I would have just gone straight up and said to Shimon, you know what, uh, here's an IOU, you owe me $10,000, he would have claimed poverty, and I would still be chasing that money. What I did is, I sold him a piece of property. By selling him that piece of property, now when I come to pull out the IOU, he can't claim he doesn't have any assets, because I know he has that property. I sold him the property. I can use that property now as leverage. Either give me the property back as my IOU, or pay me and keep the property. But that's the reason I sold him the property even after the due date, because that ensures that I'd be paid up on my IOU. Otherwise, I'd still be chasing the money of my IOU. That is the argument that Chachamim say. Chachamim that this fellow actually was very smart. that he sold him a property, even though the guy owes him money. Now he can take it as leverage. He can take it as the mashkon, as a collateral, to ensure that he gets paid back either in cash or he's going to hold on to the property. So that is the machlokas here between Admon and Chachamim. Again, this is one of the seven cases where Admon ruled made a specific ruling. Okay. Sigmora says like this, Lechora, Sigmora still buys that Admon's argument is still a valid argument. People don't sell property. And therefore, if I owe you the money, even if I owe you the money, even under the rules that I'm selling you a piece of property, at the end I shouldn't have sold the property. I should have held on to the money and I should have canceled the prop, the sale. Why would I sell it to you if you bring up your, especially if it's after the due date, right? It's where, assuming it's after, when you've got the money to come and pay me with the property, I should have kept that money, said it's paying for the IOU and not sold the property. The fact you sold the property, that lends credence to Admon's Taina. Why would you sell me property if I owe you money? So when it says, so my time is a Rabbonon. Shabbat Admon. What is the reason for the Rabbonon? The Admon is saying good. The fact there was a sale after the due date, you don't sell something to someone who owes you money. That still seems to be a stronger tiner. So Moira says like this, let's analyze this to a two customs. Some places, right, COD, you know, there, there's, the cash has to be up front. So now in Pa'asra, the Yav is Zuzi, So in places where you sell property, the money was given first, and then they wrote the document to show transfer of title, then Einachinami, Admon is correct. Because even when you would come to say, I'm selling you the property, he would have to come up with that money. When he comes up with that money before you wrote over title to him, at that point you should have held on to the money. So then in that case, Admon's argument is that even the Chachamim agree with that. Is the fact you did not hold on to that money right away and you still sold him the property, that seems to cast aspersions on the validity of the IOU. So Kul Amal Apligi, Demati Amale, everyone agrees that Shimon could say to Ruvain, uh, you should have paid back, when I gave you the money up front, you should have taken that money for the IOU, especially if it's past the due date, and you should have kept it. 
Right? When you sold me the land. Keep legally. The argument is that some places had the custom is they were less trusting. You first sign over the property. Once you've signed over the property, then I give over the cash. So now in such a case, that's where the machlokus is. So keep legal. First the document was written, uh, signed over, the, the title. And then the money was paid up by the buyer. So now, What's the argument in that case? The Chorah, I couldn't seize the money until after I wrote over the property. So how could Admon say, nevertheless, I have a taina, you shouldn't have sold me the property. Admon's taina is as follows. You should have, we had a swar like this yesterday. You should have taken two adim, two witnesses. Before you signed over the property, you should have whispered to them privately, guys, you should know, he owes me $10,000. I'm only signing this over to him to ensure that I have an asset that I can collect my IOU from. But really, that's the only reason I'm doing it, but he owes me $10,000. You should have done that privately to let people know that. Because, and the fact that you didn't, that casts aspersion on the validity of the IOU. That's Admon's position, which is why I could say, you, you, wouldn't have, you should have sold it to me, you, wouldn't, you should not have sold it to me if I owe you $10,000. I, you were doing it only in order to ensure that you had an asset, you should have told someone that privately. So Admon Savari, you should have called him Modoy, you should have notified in private witnesses before you went through with the transaction. The Rabbanon Savi, like we had a story yesterday, that the uh, seller who wanted to make sure he has an asset to collect back his IOU was afraid to tell people that privately. I was he afraid to tell people that privately we had this story yesterday? Because there's no such thing as secrets. When you tell two people, they're going to tell two people, they're going to tell two people, they'll tell their friends, and the, and, and the buyer who owes you the money will find out about it. And if he understands that that's what you're trying to do, what's going to end up happening? The sale's going to blow up and he's not going to buy it and you'll still be out of your money. That's why you didn't... So therefore, the Chachavim hold, there's a good reason why you didn't let people know in private and therefore, you have a taina that I only did this in order to ensure that I have a collateral, an asset to collect my IOU from. So the Rabbanon Sabe, Chavra, Chavra Islay, that uh, your friend has other friends, the Chavra, Chavra, Chavra Islay, and the friends of your friend have other friends, and it'll, go, it'll end up reaching the ears of the buyer, uh, and therefore, that's why you do not want to tell people in private. But therefore, in places where the money is up front, take the money and run. And the fact you didn't do it, cast aspersions, and everybody agrees to that. Where they pay, where the land transfer happens first, and then the money, that's where the machlokus is. I, the chorah, what's the time? I couldn't get the money first. The answer is, you should have, according to Adman, you should have told somebody that's what you're doing. But according to Rabbanan, we don't say that because they would have, you would have found out about it. Okay, let's go to the next Mishnah. Zog David Mishnah. This is a little technical. We're going to have to halt cup over here. The case over here is as follows. Just simplest understanding. Ruvain pulls out an IOU that Shimon owes him $10,000. And Shimon pulls out an IOU that Reuven owes him $10,000. Alright? Now, let's just assume right now all things are equal. We'll see in the Gemara. But let's assume right now all things are equal, right? That same amount of money, the dates are pretty much the same. So what do you do? Alright? So, Shnaim Shotiyu Shtarchov Zelzeh. Two people, Reuven pulled out an IOU against Shimon. Shimon pulled out an IOU against Reuven. Admon Omer, Admon says like this. Uh, so, 
the uh, the the you see from the case uh, that I I'm, I'm mistaken. It's not what I just said. One 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 loan document is earlier than the other one. One loan document is earlier than the other one. We'll clarify this a little bit more in the Gemara. But Admon's Taina is that the person who pulled out the second IOU, Shimon, says to Ruvain, if in fact I owe you $10,000, why did you come and borrow from me $10,000? The fact is that you came to borrow from me later than the first document, $10,000. That shows you that I obviously don't owe you the $10,000. Because if I owed you the $10,000, then what? then why would you have borrowed $10,000 from me? So therefore, so it's not exactly like I said, it's the same, the same date. It's not. So uh, therefore, Admon Omer, Shimon says to Reuben, if I actually owed you $10,000 and your document is valid, so case I love him in many, why would you borrow $10,000 from me? Right? And the Chachamim disagree with that. Chachamim say, no, we give credence and validity to both documents. And and each one uses his documents to collect the $10,000 from the others. And we'll see exactly, what's the purpose of doing that if it's the same amount of money. So what are you gaining? All right, we'll see maybe there's property involved. We'll talk about what the different... About. So there we have here a machlokus between Admon and the Chachamim that Ruben pulled out at Shtarchov that Shimon owes him $10,000. Shimon pulls out a Shtarchov that appears to be a later one and his argument is that if I owed you, then why would you have borrowed from me the same amount of money? Must be yours is a is is, is a fake or or it's paid up. And uh, the Chachamim say no. Both of them are dealt with as if they're valid. All right. Now that's a machlokas tanoyim. Now we're going to bring down a machlokas amoroyim, and we're going to circle back. From this Machlokas Amaron, we're going to go back to our Mishnah. Now, our Mishnah didn't make clear, are we dealing with what they're collecting is money or is they collecting land? It didn't say. It just said you have two documents. A document, sometimes you can collect back in land. Sometimes you can collect back in money. The Machlokas Amaroyim is specifically talking about, we're going to see that we're referring to property. So much property. And we're going to see. So now, Itmar. It was stated. Usually an Itmar Sugya means it's a Machlokas Amoroyim coming up. Shnayim Shritziu Shtarchov Zelzeh. Two people, each one, Ruben and Shimon, each one pulled out a IOU, a document that each one, that this is the other one owes them. Let's go $10,000. All right. Rav Nachman Amar Zegova Vezegova. Rav Nachman says that each one collects. All right. Each one collects. Rav Sheshis Amar Hafuchi Matros What's the purpose of each one collecting? If, if uh, the way uh, he explains it, let's say a person has uh, a, a saddlebag of ten thousand dollars and uh, of ten thousand pounds uh, of not ten thousand, a saddlebag of two hundred pounds on one shoulder and a saddlebag of two hundred pounds on the other shoulder. Does it make sense to switch shoulders? What's the purpose of switching shoulders? That's the expression he's doing. They both weigh the same. So just why not just leave it the way it is? So he says that if apples to apples, if each uh, is ten thousand dollars 
Uh, right? So why should he pay and he pay? Just each one should tear up their, uh, their IOU and neither one should have to pay. What's the purpose of each one having to pay? To switch from one, one package to the other shoulder and one package to the other shoulder, but they both weigh the same. What's the purpose of doing this? Let each one hold on to his asset and just tear up the documents. That's what you do. Alright? So now. Uh, th- let's understand where this Machlokas Amoroya makes sense. So again, the Machlokas is between Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshis. Let's hold cup over here again. Rav Nachman said each one collects. There is a difference. Each one should use their document to collect. Rav Sheshis says there's no difference. They're not gaining by collecting. Just if I go through that whole exercise, just each one tear up their document and hold on to their own asset. That would be the way to go about it. Now... Now, uh, obviously, if only one of them, let's say, let's say they both, if they both only have cash, then for sure it makes no sense. Why should he pay him $10,000 and then him, he pay him $10,000? Let each one just hold on to the $10,000 and then, and, and, so we're not talking about they both have cash. Now, let's say neither of them had cash and only one of them had a piece of property. That wouldn't make sense either. Because if, let's say, uh, a Ruben collects the property from Shimon, then Shimon would come back and take that same property back. So then why go through the whole exercise? We have to come up with a situation where the machlokas make sense that at least according, there's a machlokas, according to one of them, leave it the way it is. And according to the other one, no, it makes, us, it makes sense to go through the exercise because it's going to end up being different. So one of says like this, let's talk about a situation where they both have property. Now we're going to learn in Baba Kama that there is a... We're going to learn about Bakama that that property was graded in three at three different levels. There's property that is graded at the highest level is called idis. That's the high grade property. There's bainonis. That's the middle grade property. And then there's the buris. It's the low-grade property. Now, we're going to get, get back to this in a moment because the shyly is how do we classify, how do we get those gradings? We'll discuss in a moment. But the point is as follows. Is that minatoro, when you pay back a loan, when you pay back an outstanding debt, technically you should be able to pay back with whatever property you have. So you should be able to pay back a person with your lowest grade of property. That you should be able to do. As long as... It's worth, you borrowed $50,000, somebody lent you $50,000, you can give them back property worth $50,000, even though it might be the lowest grade, as long as it's worth fifty grand, right? you should be able to pay back. People obviously want a higher grade, it's $50,000 either way, but a higher grade property is much more marketable, it's a smaller amount of property, it's easier to maintain, it's in a better neighborhood, whatever it is, people would rather have a higher grade at that same amount than the lower grade. It doesn't change the value, it just changes the amount of property that there is depending on the grading. So therefore, even though Minatora, you should technically be able to pay somebody with the lowest grade of property, the Chachamim said as follows. The Chachamim came along and said that people are going to be reticent. No one's going to want to lend money if they know that you can always stick them with the lowest property that you have, with the lowest grade property. So therefore, the Chachamim said that when you pay back a debt, you should not pay, if possible, should not pay with your lowest grade property. You should always pay with the bainerness, right? Now, they did say you cannot make somebody pay his highest grade of property. The idis, you can't make the guy pay you back with. If he has a lower grade than the idis, 
So then you can pay back with a lower grade. Now, if he has all three grades, he shouldn't pay with the lowest, he should pay with the middle. But you cannot force the guy to pay with your highest if you have something less than the highest. That's the rule that they, they came up with. Now, let's assume over here that each one had one property. So if they both have the same grade property, let's say they both had only one property and both had either idis or they both had bainanis or they both had ziburis. So again, it makes no sense why go through the exercise. If you take my idis, I'm going to take back your idis. You take my bainanis, I'm going to take your bainanis. If you take my ziburis, I'm going to take your bain ziburis. Now again, assuming each one only had one property. So then if you only had one property, you have to pay what you have. But if they each have the exact same graded property, then it makes no sense, lechora, that you should go through the exercise because you're going to end up with what you have. So therefore, in such a case, it, it, then we can't understand why Rav Nachman says that you should end up switching. It doesn't make sense to say, go through the exercise. Rav Sheshaz is correct. Lechora, leave it the way it is. So the fact that Rav Nachman says, no, Zegova, Zegova, that can't be the case, which each one only had one piece of property and it was both Idis, it was both Bainanis, it was both Zaburis, because what's the purpose if you're going to end up with the same piece that you started with? So that can't be the case. So therefore, like this. So that's what the Messiah says. The Kula Alma, everybody agrees, if it's both either only have Idis for Idis, or both only have Bainas Bainas, or both only have Ziburis or Ziburis, that's for sure switching one package from one shoulder to the other shoulder they both weigh the same what's the purpose of switching sh- shoulders that svara for sure remains under that case so where is the machlokas? so Morris sets up an interesting scenario Morris says perhaps this is going to be the first hypothesis we're going to shlog it up but the hypothesis is like this the case is keep ligi to is le lechad beinanis or lechad ziburis one party only had one property that actually, in an objectively, was bainanis. On an objective means, if you, the objectively, what everybody would consider this, it was graded as bainanis. The other party had objectively a piece of property that was graded, both worth $50,000, but it was graded as ziburis. Okay? So now let's go through this. Let's understand it. Right? Rav Nachman says, No. You go through the exercise. Why do you go through the exercise? So I'm not going to have a zegover, a zegover. Now, why? Now, this is a very important machlokus in Baba Kama. As I said, that the, how do you classify what's idis, what's benis, what's ziburis is subject to a huge dispute. There are opinions that it's a universal grading. Universal grading means that it's not relative or subjective to my own properties. Its bottom line is there is a grading system that universally is considered it is bainers irrespective of what I personally own. That's how it's graded. Rav Nachman does not adhere to that position. He holds that the way it's graded, which is the other position of Babakama, it really depends on your own personal uh, level of what kind of land you have. Meaning the way it would work is, is that we look at your properties, the best of your properties. It doesn't matter what universally people consider it, but the best of your properties has got the din of idis. The average level of your properties has got the din of bainanis, and the worst of your properties is considered to be zaburis. Means it's relative and subject, uh, subjective to what you yourself hold. That is the position of Rav Nachman. That the way they assess or calculate the grading is based on what you actually has, have. So let's speak this out. One guy had Zaburis 
The other guy only had Bain in this. So now, if the guy that has the Burris, he comes first, and he goes, let's say Reuben goes to Shimon, and he says, here's my, a document of, of, of $10,000, you have a piece of property that's worth $10,000, I'm taking your property. Now, even though that property in the big picture is considered to be Bainanist, that's the only property that he has, it doesn't matter what it would be, he can take it. So now, Reuben has now seized that property. Now, Reuben now has two properties. He has that Bainanist, which is now his higher level property, and he has the Zaburis, which is the second tier property. When Shimon comes back to Reuven, he's not allowed to take Reuven's best properties because it's subjective what Reuven owns. You're not allowed to take his idis. You're not allowed to take his best. You can only go for his second best, which means that although he gave up his own idis, when he comes back to when Shimon comes back to Ruvain, he's forced to collect Ruvain's Ziburis. So that's why it actually makes a difference. In this case, it makes a difference if you go through the, 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 we say, what do you go? Why do you have to go through the whole, uh, uh, dog and pony show? No, it makes a difference over here because they're ending up with something different than they started with, right? So that's what Rab Nachman holds. Because since it's evaluated based on what the person has relative to his own assets, not what it is universally graded as. So therefore, also Baal Ziburis. So if the Baal Ziburis, Reuben goes first and Reuben only had Ziburis, but Shimon has Bainanis, the Gabi he takes Shimon's bane in this. Now, which now that becomes the bane in this by Reuben becomes his idis because that's the best property he has. So when Shimon comes back to him, he has to take Reuben's Ziburis. He cannot take back the same property because that property has become Reuben's idis. He has to take the Ziburis. And therefore, it makes a difference to go through. Whereas, what does Rav Sheshis hold? Rav Sheshis holds that land is graded universally. So when Reuven came and he took property from Shimon, that was Bainanis, and now Shimon comes back to Reuven, he takes Bainanis. I, it's Reuven's best property, it doesn't matter. But universally, that's what's called Bainanis, that's what he takes back. So therefore, it makes no sense. He took Bainanis, he takes back the same piece of Bainanis. Why go through it? That's why he holds is that Hafuchi Matros Alamali, why do you have to switch the packages from one shoulder to the other? Alright? So therefore, Shevis Amar, Hafuchi Matros Alamali, why go back through the exercise of switching one shoulder to the other? Why? That it's valued at what everybody considers the grading to be. It's universally graded. So, so therefore, so so Kiosiahu. So therefore, at the end of the day, Reuven takes the Bainanis from Shimon, even though that's Reuven's best property. Nevertheless, when Shimon comes back, Bainanis Dinavshe Koshakal is going to take back his Bainanis. So why go through this? He takes Bainanis and he takes it back. Leave it the way it is. Tear up the documents. That becomes the Machlokas. So now, we, this is the first attempt. We're trying to explain why according to Rav Nachman do you go through the process, whereas according to Rav Shimon you don't. We said that because one has Bainanis and the other one has the Buris, so that's why in such a case it makes sense that according to Rav Nachman you go through the process and according to Rav Sheshes you do not. Now the Gemara wants to know, this is, this is careful, that's why you have the half cup over here. According to 
Rav Nachman, it only makes sense. Why does it make sense? We're holding halfway down to a few dollars. It made sense because we said Ruben went first. Ruben, who owns the Ziburis, he went first and he took the Bainanis from Shimon, which then by Ruben becomes his Idis. So when Shimon came, so then Shimon was only able to take from Ruben Ziburis. Now that only makes sense if you go in that order. If you let Ruvain take first, if you would have let Shimon go first, then what would happen? Shimon would have had to take only what's left by Ruvain. What's left by what is by Ruvain is Ziburis. Shimon, Shimon would have taken Ruvain Ziburis, and now that would go to Shimon. That would become Shimon's second tier property. Ruvain would have had to have taken that back. So the truth is, according to Rab, uh, Nachman, it only makes sense to go through the process is if you let Shimon, if you let Ruvain take from Shimon first. But if you let Shimon go first, then the Chorah, it would have been the same thing. Either, it would have made no difference. You would have ended up with the same as what you have. So Gmar wants to know, so why is it that we are specifically saying, the way we're explaining it now, is because Ruvain is going first. Why let Ruvain go first? My Why do we see that it's correct? The Azi Baal Ziburis that we let the Baal Ziburis, Reuben, who only has the Ziburis, go Beresha first, which is to the detriment of Shimon. Shimon ends up now with less quality land. Why do we let that happen? Let Shimon go first. Now, if Shimon would go first, he would take the Ziburis first. And then when Reuben shows up, then he would have to take back the Ziburis. So therefore, and he would have to give him back. And then you would talk to say the same thing as Rav Shesha. What do you have to go through that exercise for? It must be that in order of when the claims were made. It means that the Chorah based in usually will address a claim based on when they get it first to based in. So it must be that the reason why we let Reuben collect first, because Reuben came first to based in. So that, that's why you follow that order. The Gemara says, it's true. Generally, you follow the order of when a claim is made. But in this case, that would not be the fair thing to do. Because it's true, Reuben got there before Shimon. Now, Reuben got there, pulls out his IOU. As soon as Reuben pulls out his IOU and you come to Shimon and say, you have to pay up and you have to give Reuven your bane in his land, Shimon's going to pull up his IOU showing that Reuven owes him money. And we said, in such a case, Lechora, even though if you go through that order, it would end up that they, they switch, one gets the Ziburis, the other one gets the Bainers, and they switch on. But based in, you have to do the fair thing. And in such a case, it's not fair to let Reuven go first. To the detriment of Shimon, why should Reuven end up with a better quality piece of land than he started because he came first to based in? Now, yes, the right thing to do is usually go first, but not when it's going to be the detriment of the other party. So if based in know that each one has an IOU, and each one owns a property, just one is Bainanis, and the other one is Ziburis, to now flip it, that the other one should get the Bainers, the other one should get Zaburis just because we're going in that order, that would not be the right thing to do, says Tosos. And in that case, Bainers would be forced to say, each one just hold on to your property. So we're back to square one. If in fact, in that case, each one hold on to your property. So what's the case where Rav Nachman Taka said, no, go through the process because it makes a halachi difference. That it makes a difference if you go through it and we don't hold like Rav Shesh, just leave it the way it is. We still haven't figured out what that case is going to be. So Sov Sov says the Gemara, Ki also 
reality. Bottom line is, if they would have come together, then you would have left it the way it is. We have to view it as a case that they're coming together. Because if we are aware of both IOUs, and we validating both IOUs, it would be unfair to let one take a Bainanis, and then the other one take a Zaburis, and switch and go down in grades. If we know that both IOUs exist, we would just say, you know, each one just hold on to your property and tear up your IOUs. So we're back to our question, where's the Machlokas then between Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshis? So therefore, it's as if they're coming together and we would have to therefore honor each document and leave it the way it is. So Ella says the Gemara, rather, the case is necessary. Where is there going to be? We're trying to figure out where is there going to be a machlokas of Nachman of Sheshes that according to Sheshes leave it the way it is and just tear up the documents. And according to Nachman, no, we allow each one to collect their document. Where is that going to make a halachic nafkamino? Says the Gemara like this. Let's say, a little bit different than we said before. Let's say the case is like this. The Islay Lechat Idis Ubeinunis. One party had two qualities of land. He had Idis, what's considered universally the highest quality, and he had Bainanis, and he had a second quality, again, which universally is considered to be the middle quality land. He had Idis and Bainanis, and the other party had only Ziburis, the Islay Lechad Ziburis. Now let's speak this out. Let's speak this out. Again, we said there's two ways of classifying land. It's either classified as a universal grading, right? And it's not relative to what I own. So therefore, if I own one piece of property, that's a bainanis, because universally that's bainanis. Or you could say, which we're going to see Rav Nachman actually adheres to, is that it doesn't matter what is considered universally. The takana was, you're not allowed to take someone's best property. You only can take his next level property. You cannot take his best property. Now let's speak out in this case. Let's start off. Let's say the guy with the Zaburis. The guy that had Zaburis, he only has one quality. He has, it happens to be a bad quality. That's all he has. Now he goes, let's call him Ruven. Ruven has only Zaburis. He goes to Shimon, pulls out his IOU, you owe me $10,000. In that case, obviously he cannot take Shimon's highest quality, but Shimon only has two grades. So what is he going to be taking? He's going to take Shimon's Bainanis, right? Now, on his side, what does he have? He has Shimon's Bainanis, which is a higher quality, and he's his original Zaburis. Now, when Shimon comes back to him, what is Shimon going to have to take? Shimon can't take his highest quality. You know how to take. If you go by the grading is based on what, relative to what you have, then that's considered what the, what the Bainanis that he took from Shimon is considered now his Idis. Shimon would only be allowed to take from Ruvain, Ruvain Zaburis. Comes out that Shimon gave up Bainanis and ended up as a Buris. Now it doesn't matter which order, because let's say Shimon was the one who first got to Bainanis. Shimon pulled out his IOU. They say, fine, use your IOU, go collect land. What land would he collect? He would only collect from Reuben what Reuben has. Reuben only has the Buris. Now Shimon would have three qualities. He would have Idis, Bainanis, and Zaburis. When uh, Ruvain comes back, Ruvain's allowed to take Bainanis. So therefore, he would still end up with a Bainanis. So says Rav Nachman, because 
I consider the grading relative to what you have, it's going to make a difference. And in this case, it makes a difference which order you go. So it's not unfair why you're going in one specific order. Because either order you do, Ruben's going to end up with Bainanis, Shimon's going to end up with Zaburis. Therefore, each document is utilized. And we don't just tear it up and say, hold on to what you have. Rav Sheshis, on the other hand, says no. Because he says you go by universal grading. So therefore, if you go by universal grading, then Bainanis is always considered to be Bainanis. And therefore, Bainanis is considered Bainanis. Whether Shimon, Reuben goes and takes that Bainanis, and now that becomes his best property, it's still Bainanis. And therefore, when Shimon comes back, he can take that Bainanis back. So why go through that exercise, tear up your documents, and leave it the way it is? That now becomes the way to understand the Machlokas. Let's see it inside. So Mar Savar, again, Rav Nachman holds the Shalohin Shamin, that you evaluate based on relative to what you own. Well, Mar Savar Shal Ka'adam, and Rav Sheshes holds, it goes on what the universal standard is, the Shalamin Shamin. And now we understand the machlokas between the two of them when we're using land. One says, the both of them saying, if you're going to give, give credence to the documents, according to one opinion, go through the exercise, according to the other one, just tear them up and let each one hold on to their own property. That becomes the machlokas, where one one has Vainus and Idis, and the other one only has Ziburis. That's where the Machlok is going to be. Now we're going to circle around to our Mishnah. Now, our Mishnah was not specific. Are we talking about where they're paying in land? Or are we talking about are they paying in cash? Didn't say specifically what we're dealing with. The problem, though, in our Mishnah says, according to the Chachamim, they said we give credit to both documents, Right? And each one collects with it. And even, even Admon, the only reason Admon says that you don't collect with, uh, you, 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 don't co- you cannot collect with the, 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 the date, the one was dated later, because his argument is, why would you borrow from me if I owe you? But if they both admit that they borrowed from one another, then the Chara Admon would agree with the Chachamim that you collect with both. Now we have to understand, why would you collect with both? If it's just cash, I give you $50,000. You take back from me $50,000. makes no sense that each one collects. You should just tear it up. Must be we're dealing with property. Well, we're dealing with property, so why should each one collect? The only way it makes sense is if you hold, like Rav Nachman's position, that you don't say that there is a universal standard, but actually it goes subject to what each one holds. And if it's subject to what each one holds, so we have an Akasha and Rav because Rav Sheshis doesn't hold the subject to what each one holds. He holds its universal standard. And if it's universal standard, then we should tear it up and leave each one with what they have. So Lechor, the Gemara is asking from our Mishnah that we say that if it is a valid, each one is a valid document, each one collects, it's a kasha on Rav Sheshis. Rav Sheshis says since we go with land by universal standard and not by what each one has, tear it up and leave it because why go through the exercise? We're asking a kasha on Rav Sheshis. So Gemara says as follows, Each one collects. And if each one collects, Lechora, not just leave it where it is, Takasha and Rav Sheshah, Rav Sheshah said, when you're dealing with land, each one should leave it where it is. Says the Gemara like this, Targa Rav Nachman, I'll leave it to Rav Sheshah. Rav Nachman, you see the integrity, because this would support Rav Nachman, he says, no, I have a way to explain this according to Rav Sheshah's position too. It could be involved in cash. Our question is, if it's involved in cash, so why should it be cash, and this could also work by land, but why do we, uh, uh, just you give me $50,000, I take back $50,000, what's the purpose of doing that? I'll tell you like this, because we're talking about that each loan was for a different amount of time. 
And we're going to see why does that make a difference. Let's speak it out. So we did like this. One was a ten-year loan, and one was a five-year loan. Right? Now let's understand. Which one was the ten-year loan, and which one, which one was the five-year loan? So hechidami. Let's say the first one, Ruvain lent $10,000 to Shimon on a 10-year loan, all right? And the loan is not due yet. It's a 10-year loan. And now Shimon lent money back to Ruvain on it was a 5-year loan. But that was during the duration of when the 10-year loan was going on. If that's the case then the Chorah Admon doesn't make any sense. Admon's whole argument is, why would you come borrow farm money from me if I owe you? But if my, what I owe you is not due yet, because that's only due in, 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 five, in, in ten years, and you need the money now, so therefore it makes a lot of sense you borrowed money from me even though I owe you money, because the money you borrowed from me you can't get yet. So therefore Admon's argument, why would you borrow from me if I owe you? Because you don't owe me yet, because it's not due yet. So it can't be that the first one was ten years, and the second one was five years, because then Admon wouldn't make any sense. So in that case, would Admon say, I would have owed you and why would you have borrowed me many from me? The reason why you borrowed from me is because the tenure loan is not due yet. So that's why you borrowed from me. So Admon's argument would not make sense. So let's do it the other way around. The way the word is going to say it as follows, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible, yeah. is that the first one was a five-year loan. The case was, Ruvain lent Shimon a five-year loan. Okay? And that loan is already due. It's a short-term loan. It was five years and it's due. And instead of Reuven asking Shimon to pay me up, he went and borrowed for a 10-year loan. He went and borrowed from Shimon the same amount of money. That's where Admon makes sense. In that case, Admon is saying, why did you borrow if my, the short-term loan was due, why did you go borrow from me a long-term loan? It's only proof is the short-term loan must not have been a valid loan. Because why would you have borrowed money that I owe you anyway? That is the point of Admon. So, El Arishon the first one was the short-term loan and the loan was already due. The Shani and the second one was the long-term loan. So therefore, or it's like this. So let's analyze this. When we say there was a short-term loan, a long-term loan, it, Lechorah was saying is the short-term loan was due before you went and borrowed the long-term loan. That's what Admon's kinda is. Why would you borrow money from me if I already owed you the money that I borrowed from you? But if in fact that's the case, where the short-term loan was already due, so then the Chorah, how could the Chachamim disagree with that? That seems to be irrefutable. You owe me $10,000, and with a five-year loan, and the five-year loan is due, the short-term loan is due, and I'm coming to you, and I'm saying, I want to borrow money from you, even though I have the right to collect from you, how could that make any sense? So therefore, my time is the Rabbonon. So therefore, what's the reason of the Rabbonon? So what do you have to say? Maybe even the short term, the five-year loan wasn't due yet. It was only year three. It was year three out of five, and I came to you and I said, and you were willing to give me a ten-year terms of a ten-year loan. But if that's the case, then Admon doesn't make any sense. Because Admon's saying it's a proof that the first loan was no good, because why would you have borrowed money from me 
if I owe you. But if it hasn't, if the short-term loan is not due yet, I don't owe you the money. And that's why you're borrowing money. You need money now. And it's only your three of the first loan. So therefore, that's why you borrowed money from me. So Admon can't make any sense if the first the loan is not due. So therefore, so either either low matters money, if the short-term loan had not reached its due date yet, how low matters money? It means it's, it's, it's due date. So my time to Admon say, what's the reasoning of Admon? Admon can't say, why did you borrow from me? I borrowed from you because I needed money and your, your loan wasn't due yet. So like the Gemara comes out with an interesting scenario. The case is as follows, that the five-year loan, it was the day before the loan was due. It was day... The, the, the last day before the five-year loan is going to be due. Now, you can wait 24 hours. All you have to do is wait 24 hours and then the guy owes you the money. The question is, do we say that it's conceivable that the guy is under such pressure that he needs the money that even though all he would have to do is wait 24 hours and then be able to collect with the note that he has, he would still borrow and not wait the 24 hours. That becomes the point of contention between Admon and the Chachamim. Admon holds is that even though it wasn't due, but it was 24 hours, why would you have borrowed from me? If you borrowed from me, even though it was the day, the day before the due date of the first loan, and you borrowed from me, and you didn't wait the 24 hours, what does that indicate? That that first loan is not worth the paper it was written on, it was, it's, it's, it's a false loan, or I paid you out with either one of them. Chachamim say no. Chachamim say occasionally a person has such pressure right. that he can't wait the 24 hours, and that becomes now the machlokas between, according to at least Rav Sheshis, why Rav Sheshis says, tear it up, because at the end of the day, each one is going to be holding on to... The $10,000. So what's the purpose of paying and then going through the exercise? Let's each one hold on to their own $10,000. That's the case according to Rav Sheshit. Nachman doesn't have to learn that case. He can learn it with real estate. He can learn the way we explained before. But anyway, let's keep going. So Gemara says as follows. So what's the machlokas? So like, Tricha, the necessary to have the case is the Asa Ba'ahu Yoyma, that is the Mishlam Chamesh, that it's on the last day before the five-year loan is due. Mar Sabar, one opinion, which is the Chachamim, says, Avit Inish the Yoziv Liyome. It's possible that a person has pressure that even for 24 hours is willing to borrow money without waiting the next day, the authority can have collect on his original uh, IOU. Well, Mar Sabar, in Admon Halls, Lo Avit Inish the Yoziv Liyome. A person will do everything he can to push off that 24 hours. He would not incur a new loan if he, all he has to do is wait for 24 hours, it makes no sense that he would do that, and therefore it's indicative that that first loan was not a valid loan. Now, that was the one answer. Again, we're trying to understand in the Machlokos of Nachman and of Sheshish. Rav Sheshish says, when you, each one is pulling an, a, a document against the other one, just leave each one tear it up and leave it the way it is. So we try to explain what was the case, and we said the case is talking about this scenario where it was a, which is a bit dolchet to say it was, with it. it was due on the last day of the first loan, that's the Machlokos. Rami Barachama wants to come up with a different solution. How do we explain the Machlokos between Admon and the Chachamim according to the sheet of Rav Sheshis, who holds why in our Mishnah why in our Mishnah does it say each one collects the document so it comes out by the way in our Mishnah each one does collect with the document because there's two different due dates that's why each one is able to collect 
That's how you, you that's, that's how you explain it. But the machlokas is gonna be that even though it's cash, but it was the last day it was due of the fifth, of the year five, and that's why that becomes the machlokas. How's Rami Barachama gonna explain it? So Rami Barachama says, Hacha He says, we're talking about that Ruben died and his estate are the ones that are pulling out the note. Now, why does that make a difference? So he says like this, because the halacha is that from an estate, you're not allowed to collect metaltalin. That even if the father died and left over a bank account full of cash, we don't allow creditors to collect from an estate cash. If you left land, or they get hold of land, the shiba can be paid off in land, but never in cash. So therefore, over here, it makes a difference. You don't say each one just tear up the document and leave it the way it is. That doesn't make sense over here because the Yisomim are able to collect from Shimon. Shimon is not able to collect. And that's why, in this case, each, each one collects. What it means is each one should be collecting and not just tear it up. Now we're going to see it doesn't fit the words, right? So let's see it inside. So what says is talking about over here is the Yasmi. Why? Because the Yasmi, Mikbagavi, Agbuyulaimagbinan, they have a right to collect from a debtor, but a creditor cannot collect from them when we're dealing with cash, we're dealing with metalzalin. So they'll magnaminayu. So when it says it doesn't fit the wording. Yes, I understand, don't leave everything the way it is and tear it up, but it says that each one collects. According to your answer, you're not saying each one collects. You're saying is the Yisomim collect, but the, the creditor is not allowed to collect from them. So what it says like this, Vahav Zebev Zegova Ketani. So it says each one collect. So what it says, so, so Rav Sheshis will explain, at least Rami Barachama will explain to Yosef, Zegova Vezeroyuligvos. It means that this one collects, and the other one should collect, just the Chacham says he's not allowed to collect. So Zegova Vezegova should not be, should be read loosely. Each one should collect, it's just as opposed to tearing, each one tearing it up, right, which Rav Nachman, has held before. Here, no, there, it's, it makes sense that each one should be collecting because it's going to have Allah Nafkamina, right? But it doesn't mean that each one actually collects, only one of them is going to collect. But Anglo, but he's not able to because you cannot collect unless it's real estate. You cannot collect from the Yisomim cash, and that's what means. That's why they can collect the cash from you, but you cannot collect from them. Says the Gemara, "Amar Rav, state Shuvas Vadavish." There's two reasons, two answers to why that answer doesn't work. Chada to Zegova Zegova Ktani to say that it doesn't mean what it says. It's very difficult. It says each one collects. Each one collects is mashma that each one uses their document to collect. If you telling me so much Yisomim? But it says each one collects. He cannot say it means, oh, he had a right. To, he should have been able to collect. We don't let him collect. That's not what it means, number one. But, oh, secondly, is like this. Is that if he has property, if the creditor has property, and the Yasomim take his property, once the property transfers to the Yasomim, you know what he can do? He can go back and take that property. So therefore, she so says, therefore to say... That it, and, and, and what ends up happening? Then it comes back, you're back to square one. So if you're back to square one, each one should tear it up. Meaning, if he's smart, what he's going to do, instead of paying him cash, 
He's not going to pay the Yisomim in cash. He'll pay them off in real estate. Why would he pay them off in real estate? Because if he pays them in real estate, now they have real estate that allows him to go and collect the real estate. And if he can collect the real estate and he ends up with the same piece of real estate, then it's not Zegovah, Zegovah. Then each one should tear up the document. So your answer doesn't work, Bechlau, says Robert Rabin Bacham. Void, Lavino, Aureliasmi, let him, let them collect land from the creditor. So he would give them land, and then go and take it back. And if he's going to take back the same piece of property, then why do they you have to go through the process, let each one rip, the, uh, rip it up. The Vinaminayu. Could Rav Nachman, like Rav Nachman said, Rav Nachman actually said this. Even though normally we don't allow you to take cash and you only take real estate that the father left over, if the Yisomim have seized the property from other creditors and now they have property. That property is allowed to be collected. It was seized on a debt that the father was owed. Then another creditor is allowed to go and take that property back. So therefore, the creditor can take it from them. So therefore, kasha. Alright? So that is, that is very difficult to understand how you can give such an answer. First of all, it doesn't say, it says, Zegovah, Zegovah, they both can collect. And second of all, is that he would let them take land. He can come back and collect land, and therefore you've done nothing and gained nothing. You should tear up those documents. Says them all like this. Well, I'll give you an answer. When it says, maybe you can defend Rami Barakham as follows. Even though we said that the Chachamim said, Minat Torah, you pay up a debt, you can take, uh, you can pay the guy off in Ziburis. The rabbis don't allow you to pay off in Ziburis if you have Dainunis, because they don't want to ha- stop lenders from lending money. Who wants to lend money knowing you're going to get stuck with Ziburis? That's not true when it comes to Yosomim. When you collect from Yosomim, we allow the estate to pay off a debt even with Zaburis. So what it says, I'll tell you what the case could be according to Rabshashis. The case according to Rabshashis can be talking about like this. Let's the look may the Yasmi Zaburis. Let's say the father left the Yusomim only property, only one property that was Zaburis. He left them Zaburis. The Day, it is obeyedness. And the creditor, Shimon, Shimon has higher grade of property. He has Idis and he has Bainanis. So now, what's going to happen as follows. The Yisomim are going to go and take from Shimon. What are they going to take? They'll take the Bainanis. And when he comes to collect, he's, he's limited. He can't take from the Yisomim Bainanis. He's going to have to take Zaburis. So therefore, we, we could, the answer that we're talking about Yisomim is a good answer. And that's the case where you have to go through the exercise because it's going to make a difference as opposed to each one just tearing up their document. So when it says, the Yisom are going to collect Bainanis, and they only have to pay him off Zaburis. Because even if you hold, we said, even if you hold like Rav Nachman's position is that the way we cal, I mean, I mean, even if you hold that, uh, not Rav Nachman, even if you hold in like, uh, the universal way of calculating Levels, right? It's not based on what you have, right? The halacha still is, you still are not allowed to take from your somim only Zaburis. Even if it's universal, you've done, uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, that even if it's done universally, you're only allowed to take Zaburis, you're not allowed to take anything else. That's the bottom line. So therefore, that would be a good way of learning it. Some of your somim, they collect the bainers from you, and you can only take their Zaburis. Says more like that, that answer doesn't work. That, that shot that means if you go to a, uh, uh, orphans 
and you take land from orphans, you have to take the ziburas. You're not allowed to take anything else. However, there is a halacha that if you seized bainerness from the orphans, you weren't, you weren't supposed to take bainerness, but you seized bainerness, we're not going to take it away from you. So let's speak this out. They owe you money, you owe them money. You already own the bainerness. So therefore, it's as if you seized bainerness from them. So if it's if you seized bainerness from them, you're not going to let them take the bainerness because you're saying, I'm seizing that bainerness back. So it doesn't make sense to say, oh, you have to go take their ziburus. You're not going to let them take the bainerness. You're going to say that the bainerness you're taking, I'm holding on to as a seizure. So therefore, that answer doesn't work to say we're talking about that we did that's only where the creditor hasn't seized bainerness but where he's already seized it so why should he have to give up bainerness I've seized it I'm going to use my own bainerness to pay off my own home and therefore that answer doesn't work you should still tear up both of them and therefore the original answer we gave to that it's on the last day according to Bishesha's or the fifth year loan that's the answer that we have to stick with alright let's just go let's just do the next Mishnah uh, and get to the next Mishnah because uh, we have a, a, an omit to play with the last blood is only one omen. All right. This is, by the way, the stills with a very interesting machlokas that, uh, an, an interesting shiloh which happens all the time. Let's say husband wants to move to Eretz Yisrael. The wife doesn't. Grounds for divorce or not grounds for divorce? Husband wants to move to wife. Move to Eretz Yisrael. Or the other way. Husband says, I've had enough. I want to go back to America. The wife says, no, I want to stay here. Or the other way around. That's what we're dealing with, the, this issue over here. Right? Obviously, the Ksuba, it's in Ksuba, because the Ksuba is going to play a role here. Let's see. Shalash Arotzais Linesuin. There are three provinces in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is divided uh, trilineally. It's divided, or whatever they call it, into three separate provinces. All right? There's Yehuda, Judah, Abraham, and Transjordan, the Galil, and the north. Each one is considered to be separate, and the caravans did not go uh, well from one to the other. So therefore, we're going to see, the woman has a taina, is that I don't want to leave my family to go to an area where there's not, there, the, the, the caravans don't go back and forth, because then I'm disassociating from my, my, it's all in Eretz Yisrael, it's all considered Eretz Yisrael, even Transjordan is considered to be Eretz Yisrael, so therefore like this. So, even if you go apples to apples, there's three lists, there's a village, there's a mid-sized, Cities called an ear, and a craft is a metropolitan. That's a real large commercial city. So even if you go from one level of ear to the same level of ear, or you go from craft to Krach, but you're going from one province to another, you go from Yehuda to Galil, Galil to Yehuda, uh, then, then, and you cannot force neither one, we're going to see neither one can force the other one to leave. But in the same province, you want in the same province, it's all in Yehuda, right? Or it's all in Galil, so then Motsin Me'ir as long as you stay from one ear to another ear, or you stay from Krach to a Krach, apples to apples, then they can force each other that they can go. Of a low ear lakach, but where they can't go is from an ear to a krach. Now a krach is considered to be preferable because there's better shopping. There's more food availability than from in a krach than in an ear. So therefore, so you can go, uh, uh, Oh, so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see why that's a problem according to Tanakama. Avalomi ear la krach, avalomi krach la ear. But you cannot go at different levels. From an ear to a krach, a krach to an ear. Then we're going to discuss. I understand why you can't go from an ear to a krach. Because a cra- I'm, I'm, I'm from a crach to an ear, an ear does not have the same food ability to buy food. But why can't you force to go from an ear to a crop? We'll just see that in a minute. Now, 
However, you can force somebody to go from a poor neighborhood, a, 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 a weaker neighborhood. Raw means like the housing, the area is, is, is not as, uh, as, 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 uh, as, as good. We'll see good over there also is in terms of capacity to get food. To a Nevehara, from a, a bad neighborhood, a bad abode, literally, that means a neighborhood, the Nevehara, to a place where the food is better. Avalomi Nevehara, but you can't force someone to leave, you know, I got the kosher Ralphs next door, you can't force them to leave the Nevehara, to go to a Nevehara, to move to Northridge, where I don't have the kosher Ralph next door. That you can't do. He says, makes no difference. Either way. And you can't even force from an Aveyra to an Aveyra, even though the food situation is going to be upgraded. The, the person has a Taina, I don't want to move there either. We'll see what. Going from Aveyra changes your diet. And Aveyra Bodek, that causes, uh, it causes Bodek. It, 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 it literally means it investigates. It, it, it checks you out physically. It affects you physically to go from an Avea from where your diet is less to an Avea Yafa where the diet is more and the Gemara is going to explain what that means. Now let's go. Bishloma lekrach le'ir I understand the Tanakhama and you cannot force even in the same province you cannot force from a large uh, metropolitan city <coughs> you want to go from New York to force to go to New York and you send that to New Jersey I understand. The Bekrach Shechichi called me because in a large city, right, New York City, you have everything available. There's kosher foods, there's restaurants, everything you want, right? But in the midtown, you're going to a mid-sized city, you don't have that. So I understand the time, I don't, you can't force me to leave, right? But the Lashchichi me, you don't have everything available to you. Ella me'ir lekrach, but if the one party wants to force the other one to go and upgrade the Chorah from an ear to a krach, Right? You're living in, uh, in, 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 in and you want to move to, uh, New York City. Why shouldn't you be able to force the person? It's an upgrade. My time, my sister, is not an upgrade. Messiah of Yosi Barachanina, the support of Yosi Barachanina. The Amr of Yosi Barachanina, Minayin Shi Yeshivas Krochim. How do we know living in a metropolitan area, even though it's an upgrade, it's from certain areas, is still considered harmful? There's pollution, there's uh, uh, congestion, traffic, that's still not considered to be an upgrade in certain areas. How do we know that? Shanema says that, that Nechemia, Vayivarachlis, Ha'am, Lechola, Noshem, Isnadvim, Lashem, Yerushalayim. Anyone who agrees to move to Yerushalayim they gave a special bracha why do you need a special bracha to live in Yerushalayim because living in Yerushalayim comes and, uh, the bus lanes now you only go one way and the traffic is a big headache and there's, a, there's noise and kind of, that's why even in a large city it's not necessarily a step up to go from a mid-sized city to go to a large city now Shemin Gamliel says that even to go from a, a, a poor neighborhood to a higher level neighborhood where there's more accessibility of food, you can also put up the stops. Why? My, my Bodek, it says because it's Bodek, it investigates you. What does it mean investigates you? Kiddushmul. We're going to see that changing your diet can affect you negatively. Even if it's a richer diet or a better food, it can almost have negative impact on you. The Amar Shmuel, Shino Vested, changing anytime you have regular, when you have any type of regular diet, it can affect. There's always, they have, there's something I was going to a doctor on one of these cruises, they always have these old people, they go on these cruises and they die. 
All of a sudden, they've been eating a certain way for, for the last, you know, five years, and you put them on with an open buffets, and you put them on there, and they're literally, they're changing their diet. Imamish can have ne- negative, negative impact on a person. Shinavesa, changing your status, your regular thing, can have tchilas chalimayim, the beginning of stomach sickness. Right? And, 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 and it's because of his Ben Sira. Ben Sira was a very wise man who wrote a book of wise sayings. It's not, it's not part of canonized part of Tanakh, but they quoted for when they want to say something intelligent. It's called Yemei Ani Roim. Unfortunately, all the days of the Ani he has are bad for him. Says the more, well, he's got Shabbos and Yontav. At least Shabbos and Yontav, they put money together, they have nice meals. So why is Shabbos and Yontav considered bad for him? Vaikr Shabbos of the Yom Tovim, where it says Kedush Shmuel. Like Shmuel said, Amashin Evez, Tchilach Eleman. All week he's not used to eating rich foods. Come Shabbos Yontav, so even though he's eating Cholot now, and he's the Kishka, and by the Maitha, he then, then he spends Maitha Shabbos, uh, uh, having, having stomach problems. So even the good days are bad for him because he has to change the, 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 the type of food that he normally would eat. And it has a negative impact on him. And then continue. We just finish up. And Sira Omer Avlelos. Even the night times are bad for him. Kishval Gagim Gagon. He has a lower house than the rich people next to him. So when it rains, the runoff of the rain of the rain goes onto his roof and keeps him up from the noise that's that's going on his roof. And also, he can only afford to buy vineyards at the higher part of the mountain. The, the lower, the valleys, it's considered to be better fertilized areas. So the wealthy people buy in the lower area and he buys in the higher area. What happens is that all the land that he fertilizes, that the fertilizer rolls down and therefore he, because he can't afford the higher, and therefore the Maram Harim and Sekarmo, his vineyards are on the higher part of the mountains and, uh, and therefore Mimamter Gagan Lagaga, the rain rains from his roof, from their roofs onto his roof and Ma'afar Karmo Lakramim and the, and the fertilizer that he has put in his vineyard rolls into the vineyards of the wealthy people. The poor get poorer, the rich gets richer. Do you want to stop over here? Yeah.